thank you for listening to another Hastings NAS podcast. We are so pleased that you have shown interest in listening to this podcast, and we pray that it is edifying and beneficial for you. You can watch us live every Sunday morning on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hastings NAS. And if you are so inclined, you can support the ministries of the church by going to HastingsNAS.org slash give. Hope you enjoy this sermon. Grace and peace. Uh, John 1, 38 through 39 and 43 to 46, and then Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Follow along either in your Bibles or up on the screens. Uh, John 1, when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said, uh, he, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do you know that's why we're called the church of the Nazarene? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Then Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This church is the written word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> so before I start preaching, I want to ask you all today. You hear? You hear? We awake? We present? I might have some questions today. I, I, I was, I'm, I'm prepared. If I need to, I'll have like, you know how in like, Live studio audiences, they've got the prompts up on the monitors. If, I, if need be, I'll put some prompts up here for you, all right? Uh, when you need to say amen, it'll be up there. Yeah, all right? It won't, actually, but John can make it happen if we need it to. Um, all right, so uh, something I'm, I love talking about. I don't do it much from the pulpit. Do you know what makes video games work? Thank you for responding, Sue. <clears throat> you know what makes video games fail or succeed? I know it might be a strange question. And it's not only video games where this principle is true. It's translatable to other things, as I'll talk about. But it is true for video games. And I want to make a bold claim today, all right? I want to make a bold claim. We're all gamers now. We're all gamers that may be an ex a, maybe a bit of a hyperbole, but not much. Maybe we don't have a, you know, a high-end PC, personal computer, or, or a console, but so many of us are gamers. You know what the largest gaming market in the world is? The largest gaming market in the world is not a computer or a console. It's your phone. That is the largest gaming market in the world. You might be a gamer if you've built your own PC. 
and you play games like Escape from Tarkov or Rocket League, you might be a gamer if you play Fortnite on your Xbox or PlayStation or Nintendo Switch. That got a reaction. You might be a gamer if you play Candy Crush on your phone. You might be a gamer if you play Spider Solitaire on your iPad or poker on your phone. We're all gamers now, but video games succeed or fail. Well, they fail for two main reasons. Do you know what they are? Do you know what makes a video game fail? This is intriguing stuff, isn't it, right? This is a gospel message right now, right? Um, Video games fail for two reasons, and here's the first reason. Games fail because they have a high barrier for entry. The barrier for entry is too high. Now, what I mean by that is they're too hard to learn. There's too much going on to know what's to get into them. Either the controls are too confusing or the, the gameplay doesn't make sense. And it's just, it's just hard to get into that. Maybe a non-gaming example of this that should be familiar to all of us here is Euchre. If you, I'm telling you, we all in Michigan, we grew up with Euchre. I didn't. If you didn't grow up playing Euchre, there's a, there could be a steep learning curve because it's like you have to learn a new language to play Euchre. You got a bower. You got a right bower. You got a left bower. There is a high barrier for entry for learning Euchre, okay? And some people just don't do it. There's a special language that exists only for Euchre. Maybe that's why Euchre is such a regional-specific game. They don't play Euchre all over America, right? It's pretty localized. Games fail, or they don't grow to their full potential when they're hard to learn. The other reason that games fail is not that the barrier for entry is too high. It's they have a low barrier for entry, but once you're in... There's very little opportunity for growth, or in the gaming world, we call it leveling up. You can't level up. You can't get promoted. You can't, you can't increase your skill set. Games fail when they're easy to learn, but they give you nowhere to go. Nothing to do. You complete the game in an hour, and there's nothing else to do, so what do you do? You move on. You're done with it. A non-gaming example of this could be Go fish. Go fish is really easy to learn, right? Very low barrier for entry. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you had a go fish party? (laughs) Hey guys, you got to come over. We're playing go fish on Friday night. We're going to have an exciting game of go fish. Why don't we have go fish tournaments? Because it's easy to learn, but there's nothing to do. When you play one game of Go Fish, guess what? You've played every game of Go Fish. A high barrier for entry and a low threshold for growth are the reasons that games fail. Which means that the reason that they succeed is, is that they, what, one of the reasons they succeed is that they have a low barrier for entry and a high opportunity for growth. Easy to learn, easy to get into, you can jump into it pretty seamlessly without having a whole lot of insider information, but once you're in it, there's a whole lot of opportunities to level up, there are new skills to learn, there are new bosses to beat, there are new levels to do, 
They're not hard to learn. Access is simple. But once you're in, you can keep learning and you can keep growing. A non-gaming example of this would maybe be poker. It's easy to learn, relatively easy to learn. You don't have to have insider language. Uh, It's impossible to master, though. It's impossible to master. There's always something to learn. Maybe you're learning all the statistics on how the cards are going to lay. A lot of poker players are mathematicians. They, they, they just know the statistics of when these cards land and I've got these in my hand, then that means that the possibilities are this and my percentage of winning is going to be that. And that sounds really boring to me. Then there are other poker players who don't play the cards, they play the person. That's what makes it so, such a high opportunity for growth because you're learning the tells of other players. You're trying to read body language. What do they have? What do they not have? A low barrier for entry and a high opportunity for growth. A low barrier for entry, but a large threshold for growth. That's our hope for the missional movement as well. That's what we hope the missional movement can be. That's the intention behind it, is that all would be welcome to know that there is a place for them low barrier for entry, but also that they would be discipled well, a high threshold for growth. Because the reasons games fail is also the reason that churches sometimes miss the mark. Sometimes churches have a really, really, really high barrier for entry. I'm not going to name any names, but some churches seem to have their own special language, don't they? If you, if you don't know that language, it's hard to feel like you belong. Can you think of churches where it's hard to break in, where it just feels like, I just don't know what's going on here. You know, we keep standing, sitting, kneeling, standing, kneeling, sitting. There's all this language I don't understand. High barrier for entry. Another, to, another times, there are churches that have a low barrier for entry, but they have a low opportunity for growth. Very little opportunity for growth. Sometimes we say, sometimes we say that they're a mile wide and an inch deep. These churches can grow very large numerically, but they sometimes churn and burn. That is, lots of people can come because of the low barrier for entry, but they might not stay because they, they can't get invested because there's nowhere to go once they get in. So they go for a season, but there's nowhere else for them to, to develop, and so they leave, and new people fill that because it's got a low barrier for entry, but not much opportunity for growth. Our prayer and our hope here at this church is that we can be a church with a low barrier for entry, where you don't have to have a special language to be a part of us, but that there's going to be lots of opportunities for you to grow. This is our hope and our intention, not because we think it's a good idea, not because we think we're so spectacular at coming up with this concept. No, this is, this is the example we have in Jesus Christ. I mean, look at John. When John calls the disciples, when, when, uh, when Jesus calls the disciples, when Christ first called his disciples, he gave them two invitations. There were two things he said to his would-be disciples. Do you know what he said to them first? First, he said to them, come and see. Come and see. That's a low barrier for entry, right there. 
It's a simple invitation. Nothing special is needed. There's no insider language. There's no prerequisite special specific behaviors that you have to have before you can see what's going on. Just a simple invitation. Come and see. But then what else does he say to his would-be disciples? First he says, come and see. Then the second thing he says is, follow me. Follow me. That's not such a special invitation. It's a simple invitation. It's, a, it's much more than the way we say, follow me. It wasn't like Jesus was telling his disciples, hey guys, we're going to go to Culver's, um, but you guys don't know how to get there. It's kind of new. So I'll show you the way. You three come with me. The rest of you, you ride with Peter. Follow me. I'll show you how to get there. That's not what he means when he says, follow me. And by the way, if you're doing that, the burden is on the person following to stay with the lead car, okay? Jesus isn't saying, hey, I know how to get there. Just, just go with me. Follow me. I'll show you the direction. No, the invitation to follow Jesus was remarkable. I mean, this was a massive invitation. When he says, follow me, do you know what he's saying to them? He's saying, yeah, that, that thing you do, fishing, that thing you do, if you follow me, you're done doing that. The invitation to follow Jesus was to leave everything else behind. To drop everything else and to have Jesus be their rabbi. Jesus is called rabbi, which when translated means teacher. This teacher was much more than just someone you saw during sixth hour for 45 minutes a couple days a week. This is an invitation to become an apprentice. To leave everything else and learn how to live like this person. There's a, there's a phrase that gets associated to this time of, uh, of following your rabbi where they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. What that meant was, would you walk so closely behind your rabbi that the dust he kicks up from the ground would cover your body? Following your rabbi meant that you learned how to do everything they did, even sometimes, I'm not exaggerating, down to their bathroom habits. So you wanted to follow them as much as humanly possible. Follow me is a high threshold for growth. Come and see. Low barrier for entry. Follow me. Huge opportunity to grow. Jesus is the author of the low barrier for entry and the high threshold for growth. And that's what we hope to practice as well. Not because we think it's a great idea, but because it's the example we have in Jesus. And the place where we see this high opportunity for growth starting to take shape in the missional movement is our focus for today. What we are calling bridge. Bridge is the third of the, of the movements. And honestly, it might be one of the hardest to define because a bridge is not a destination. It's a, uh, a pathway. I mean, yeah, we like to go see bridges, but, but the purpose of a bridge is to connect things. It's not a destination, an end. It is a means. So it might be the most nebulous, but we have articulated it like this. We will intentionally build relationships intentionally build relationships within the congregation with the purpose of integrating all into the life of the church. You see, friends, there are people who are in this church who are presently 
like right now in this moment, moving across that bridge, the bridge from welcome to belong. They are no longer really at the welcome movement where they're new, where they're just kind of getting to know people, nor are they, you know, fully there yet in terms of commitment, in terms of investment. They require deeper connections. They require stronger relationships. And I want to tell you, church, if you're a part of this congregation, you build bridges. Intentionally connecting with others in the congregation so that all would have a place to belong. You build bridges between yourself and other people. But you also build bridges between other people and other people. It's not just about me connecting with you. Bridges connect others. And the reason we believe bridge is such an important part of our missional movement is because it's the example we have in Jesus Christ because Christ is the mediation between divinity and humanity. Christ is the God-man through whom we have connection. Humanity has connection with God. At the end of John chapter 1, which we didn't read today, there's the story where Jesus says, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That is, this, that is, a, that is reminiscent of Jacob's ladder, where, where heaven was opened and a staircase was descended from heaven. This was this connection point, a thin space where God's dwelling place and humanity's dwelling place was brought together. And Jesus says, I am that stairwell. I am that ladder. I am the bridge. The, this bridging, the relationship building, it's not haphazard. It's intentional. This happens through our gathering for worship. This happens through our service together. It happens through shared meals with one another. It happens at intentional fellowship times, and it happens maybe mostly through discipleship. You see, the scripture for bridge that we have associated with it is Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. And I love, I love this passage of scripture, which we just read. The author of Hebrews tells the disciples of Christ, tells the church, listen to this, to provoke, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Now, doesn't that feel like an oxymoron? To provoke someone? Isn't that a negative thing? How, when was the last time you were provoked? Who, who provokes you? Your kids, maybe? Another way to define the Greek word here is to incite or to rouse. You see, when was the last time you were incited to do something? Was it positive? Was it negative? When was, when was the last time you were stimulated to do something maybe you thought you didn't want to or ought not to do? I wasn't going to say anything, but then they said that. I got to respond. I can't say nothing. They provoked me. The writer of Hebrews is saying that we should goad others into loving others. Provoke people to love other people. To incite good deeds among the church. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if this is how we operated, church? Can you believe that they sent a meal to that person? They sent a meal to them? I bet you won't send an encouraging letter. I bet you won't. 
Uh-uh, I, I dare you. There's no, there's no way that you're going to send an encouraging letter to that person. Nah, I dare you to do I Imagine if you did it. Oh my goodness. They made a meal for them? What are we going to do? Nah, we can't do that. I dare you. I mean, that's silly, right? But that's the truth. We're to encourage one another. That's what Hebrew says. Encourage one another all the more. Keep encouraging people to love other people. We are to promote from within our own congregation love and good works. Which means what? We are not to encourage division and separation and disunity. We're not to encourage hate from within our congregation. This is encouraging others to practice Christ-like love. In the language we've chosen to articulate this love and good works encouragement, provocation is summarized in bridge. We will encourage one another. We will build strong relationships with one another. We will be intentional about bringing people deeper into our church family. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm convinced that this happens most clearly through discipleship. Through fellowship groups. Whether the fellowship group meets Sunday mornings before church or in the evening in someone's home, we bridge relationship with others through discipleship, which means that if you're a part of this church, you're being discipled. You're participating in our small group ministries because through discipleship, through the bridging of the church, that's where we see an incredibly high threshold for growth. And I want to tell you, church, stay tuned for more information about our new groups that are forming this fall. We're going to have signups in just a few weeks. I'm going to have a little series about the, the value and the necessity for discipleship. But, but I wanted to end with a story. As I've done this whole series, I want to end with another story. And I was talking to the staff on Wednesday in our staff meeting about stories we could tell about bridging relationships from, from within this congregation. And there were multiple that the three of us came up with. And I just, there's so many I could, I could share today about bridged relationships with one another in our church. <clears throat> I could share the story of, of Kirk Vredevelt's Connect card last Sunday. Please fill out a Connect card. Every week we love reading them and they're so valuable. Last Sunday, Kirk Vredevelt's Connect card named a visitor in the church. Didn't just say, hey, here's this guy. The Connect card named him and said we were glad he was here and it named the visitor's occupation and some personal history on that person, which told the staff a conversation has taken place. There's been intentionality here, and that's what we've articulated. Is in, it is intentional relationship building. That happened during a Sunday morning fellowship group, Sunday school. And it revealed an intentional personal connection with someone new. That's bridging. I could tell that story. That's not the story I'm going to tell. I could tell the story of, of Carl and Betty Atkinson bridging relationships with the Heilers. They're all gone today, but the, the Heilers are now six members in this congregation. And through intentional relationships, through meals spent together, through home invitations... That bridging relationship has, has germinated, has cultivated something good and beautiful. Derek and Rachel Heiler are leading our youth ministry. Rachel just led VBS this week. Rachel Greenfield 
formerly Hyler, is now our Adventure Kids director. And Dana Hyler has been instrumental in helping us vision for the Adventure Kids ministry. I could tell that story, but I'm not going to. The story for today is one that would likely go unnoticed and unseen forever, as most of these bridging relationships do. Because as I said earlier, the bridge is the means, not the end. Now, it's the story of our fellowship group last year at the Hackett's house, the farm. Art and I have talked about how difficult our fellowship group was this last year. For one, we started it in the throes of COVID. You know, we launched fellowship groups in the middle of a pandemic. That was perfect timing. But we had families with kids and busy schedules. And that makes prioritizing things difficult. But Rachel and Art persevered, sticking with the group through to May. And in that fellowship group, there was intentional bridging, though that wasn't the language that was used. You see, at that time, Ben Geiger was still pretty new to our church. He became a member just two months ago, but over the course of last year, folks in this church were intentional with their relationship building, with their, as we call it now, bridging. So the the Hackett's were incredibly hospitable, always making their home available, not just for our fellowship group, but also for meals, even if Ben was the only one who was going to show up. They still said, you're welcome. And Megan Lavelle was in that group, and she was intentional with cultivating Christian, a Christian relationship with Ben, someone she had known prior to joining this congregation. <clears throat> and that bridging has resulted in his integration into the life of this church. Again, bridging wasn't the language used, but it's what happened. So now Ben is on our hospitality team. He's greeting regularly. But what's, what's really fun is that Ben's imagination for the work of the church has expanded. For what the church is and how we ought to operate has expanded. And just a few weeks ago, I got a string of texts one evening. He had texted me after a long day of campaigning to share a story with me. <clears throat> he shared with me that his goal, uh, he's running for office, and his goal was to hit as many homes as possible on that day. He was campaigning, trying to get votes for this primary election to see as many people as possible. Uh, he didn't say, he didn't tell this to me, but my guess is that speed is the name of the game in that, in that race right there. To hit as many homes as possible, as quickly as possible, get in, get out, get a vote, move on. But at one of his stops, he met a 90-year-old man. And as Ben was <clears throat> saying his farewell, as he was saying goodbye, this, this old man uh, He just kind (laughs) of said to Ben, well, it's probably going to be my last time voting. And Ben stopped and turned and looked at the man, and the old man pointed to his chest and said, cancer of the lungs, don't look so good. The man began to cry, a 90-year-old farmer began to cry to someone campaigning for his vote in an election. And he cried and he said to Ben, I'm not ready to die. Ben stopped his campaign at a critical juncture in order to spend time with a stranger. He hugged and held this old man, 90 years old, who he'd never met, showing him compassion. And he relayed the story to me in a string of text messages, not because he wanted to prove how compassionate he was, not because he was compelled about the work, uh, not because he was thinking highly of himself, but because he was compelled about the work that we have to do as a church. He was compelled about the work that's before us. 
The last message in the string of text messages he sent to me was this, and I quote, this was the text message. This moment proves to me that our work as a church is needed everywhere. Just knock on the door of any house and you'll find someone in pain. The work of our church is needed everywhere. He's right, you know. Our work is needed everywhere. And this new member of our congregation had the imagination to be interrupted in critical work, largely because there were others from within our congregation who had intentionality with him had been bridging a relationship with him. That's bridging. And that fellowship group is discipleship. And that's what it means to be a part of Hastings Church of the Nazarene. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another. This is the good news of God for the people of God.